0: Hey everyone, I'm Callie Sorensen, and welcome to my podcast, where we explore different perspectives and dive into our life experiences to uncover new ideas and insights. Through these conversations, we hope to educate, empower, and inspire one another to expand our minds, open our hearts, and have a deeper understanding of ourselves, others, and the world we live in. Thank you for joining us on this journey of discovery, growth, and learning. And may we find practical solutions to life's complex challenges. So welcome to the podcast, everyone. Today, I am thrilled to have Sharda here with me as a guest. She is a colleague of mine in the field of trauma-informed narcissistic abuse recovery. And she brings in a really important dynamic into this conversation. Sharda is a member of the South Asian community, and she was raised in a narcissistic household, and then later on had an arranged marriage and children with a covert narcissist. And Sharda has firsthand experience of just how her culture can enmesh and play into emotional and psychological abuse, and now helps others in the South Asian community who may be experiencing similar situations. Her unique perspective on how culture can play a role in abuse is essential to understanding and addressing this issue. So I'm so honored to have you, Sharda, on the podcast today and share your insights and experiences. So let's dive in. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me, Kelly. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I feel like this this culture aspect is so huge and it doesn't get talked about enough, I feel, in the narcissistic abuse yeah. community. And just Absolutely. how much it kind of interweaves and meshes. And I want to say, even if you're not part of the South Asian community, think about like how your culture plays a role in this, right? Because every culture has its positive aspects, but then also has aspects where it could be used to twist, to coerce, to manipulate, right? Right. To abuse. Absolutely true. Yep. And they can take these Absolutely. positive things and do yes. a complete 180 spin. So first of all, what is South Asian culture for those people who may not know? Yeah,
1: so South Asian culture usually refers to the people that come from the areas of like India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, Sri Lanka, that kind of region of countries. We have a unique diaspora there of the South Asian. We call it the South Asian community. There's a lot of cultural aspects that are very similar in all of those countries. And also the rules of families are very similar in those areas. So we refer to that whole subcontinent. Usually, it's South, South Asian. Asian.
0: And where's your background specifically?
1: So I'm from India. My family's from India. I grew up in the U.S., but I'm Indian American, and specifically, I'm South Indian.
0: Okay. Yeah. And so, what would yeah. you say are the positive aspects of South yeah. Asian culture that you love? Absolutely.
1: So, one of the the really good things is it is very family oriented. I mean, family is of utmost importance. You know, you always feel like you have a community around you. The gatherings are always with, with children, with families. A lot of the emphasis is on education. I grew up very much about school. It was very important in our culture, in our society, learning, doing a lot of volunteer work. We are always taught that you should serve others. This mm-hmm. was a big part of the culture, too. And, you know, nobody's a stranger. Usually you'll have, at least in, when I was growing up, we always had people coming to the house, whether it was in my Grandparents' house in India, or my parents' house here in the US, I mean, there were people always coming by. You're always part of a larger community. You're never kind of this, uh, you know, separate unit. For us, it's like having people over, staying over. I remember growing up and never having to stay in a hotel because my parents had a, a network of people that they knew. And even if they didn't know them, oh, my friend friend lives in this city when you go visit go stay with yeah. them it was not a strange thing you know you would just go stay it's like nobody's a stranger at that point it's like oh you know that person okay your family now just come over yeah. it's part of the culture and it's part of the way that we were brought up so well and that's yeah tonight nice, there's a really good aspect of it yeah.
0: right and i i lived in india and a little bit in nepal for about a year and yeah. even though i was <laughs> like completely american. <laughs> Moving there they yeah. kind of just opened their arms and welcomed me yes. into their family. Yes. And I was like I was invited yeah. to these amazing weddings. I mean, the food is amazing. It was uh, food oriented and serving yes. and they exactly what you said. It was like I wasn't even part of their family and they're like go stay with my cousin here and go here yeah. and go here. Yeah. And I felt so welcomed and I I absolutely yeah. loved my time there. It was yeah. such a yeah. Th- and just the hustle and bustle of the culture and There's like this chaos, but there's order within the chaos. Absolutely, and there's a warmth.
1: Yep, there's a warmth that you feel. You don't ever feel like you're left out or alone.
0: So, how do you think growing up then in South Asian culture, like how did that influence your perception of relationships, in particular, or gender roles and things like that? So
1: it's interesting because you know, of the positive, of course, you're part of a larger community. Always feel like you're part of a larger community. Growing up in the U.S. being Indian American. My parents were very culturally Indian, very conservative in a lot of the the views that they had, but we were always going to various Indian community functions. We were part of a larger group. And so that being said, it was also, you needed to fit in, right? So what would other people think? There were some sort of norms, you know, you were expected to always show this perfect view of what your family was, everybody's doing well in school, and everybody is very respectful, and which are all good things in a lot of ways, but then they can be manipulated later too. You know, you have to be very careful about how that's perceived. You could never show imperfections, or if there was something going wrong at the family, or hey, you got bad grades, or you didn't get into this particular college, it was always like, there's a pressure of oh my gosh, you know, is there something wrong with your child or is there something wrong with this person? You kind of have to put on this image of being everything is good. Everything is good all the time. And it's, it's not sustainable,
0: right? Right. I'm guessing that was like the same with emotions too, then. As well, like, were you allowed yeah. to express various emotions? Yeah, or? I
1: mean, part of that is my parents also. When they grew up, children are part you're, again. You are part of a large family. A lot of times, my parents grew up in very ex- extended family households, right? So my grandparents had their siblings, and my dad had his cousins, or my mom had their cousins. Or it's a large family all the time. So individual like emotional needs are not really prioritized. It's more like, okay, everybody just do what you need to do to be part of the family. And if you need to fulfill a particular role, you're going to fulfill that role. It's not an individual view of things, right? So it's always do something to help somebody else or do it to serve somebody else. You're not necessarily acknowledging your feelings or your needs in that situation. So that's what kind of happens here too. Like that's what they were used to doing. That's their view of things. So that's how we kind of grew up was kind of different being in the U.S. because we were by ourselves. We didn't have like cousins or anybody else here. We were like the only ones for many, many years growing up. And also my dad was an international consultant. So we used to live in different countries until I was in about eighth grade. So we would use the U.S. as home base, but we would go to to visit different countries in Southeast Asia, Mm. in Africa. But in eighth grade, we kind of settled in the U.S. completely. And we're in the same area. With that, we were part of a larger community, but you also had to, like, kind of fit into everybody else's view of things. You know, this family is so perfect. Look at how well they raised their child. They don't talk back to them. They do everything really well. Like, you know, your successes are due to have to be highlighted with everybody else, but any failures would have to be, you know, we don't talk about that.
0: Wow. What will people
1: say? We don't want to talk about that.
0: And know? what so, a pressure on a child, right, to, yeah. to be perfect, yeah. to behave to be that thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like that family unit. The identity is the family unit. And you're not really allowed to individualize because of... No, your reputation
1: is based on how you're perceived in the family and perceived to the outside world, right? So you don't do anything to ruin the reputation of the family.
0: Right. Because if you go
1: against the rules, right? right, Because if you were
0: to go against the rules or you weren't to quote unquote, like if you were to fail or not succeed, then would the pressure then be, or the blame would be put on your parents as failing? Yeah.
1: Like what? They didn't raise their daughter properly or look at that, you know, oh my gosh, they're so, they sort of lax on their child. Nobody kind of looks at their own view, right? It's it's always a lot of judgment. And that's the unfortunate part because yes, they're very successful in the community and there's almost it was almost like you were expected to be either a doctor or an engineer. At that time my parents immigrated to the US. Those were kind of the, the highest paying jobs at the time, right? So you're kind of they, they fit into that mold. My mom was a housewife, my dad made all the money. I mean, it was sort of like he was an engineer and that's the way it was supposed to be according to their view. Right. So when we were growing up, the pressure was on, you know, you need to be math oriented, you need to be STEM oriented. There's nothing wrong with that. But I was not STEM oriented. <laughs> it was absolutely not. I mean, to even mention I wanted to go into at one point, I think I wanted to get into psychology. And I was basically like, you know, told no, that's not an option, you're going to get into something else, you know. Um, so the compromise was something so you're not like allowed to follow
0: your heart or
1: not necessarily i mean it's not encouraged you're not putting like nowadays things are a little bit different like children are allowed to explore who they are and what they want to do now people are starting to explore different options because there's a lot of other ways to to make the same amount of money or be successful in that arena right financially so i think there's a little more opening to that now in this next generation but in when i was growing up those were not options it was sort of like what? You want to be an artist? Why? Why would you want to do that? How are you going to support yourself? Like you're, what are you doing? You know, like yeah. these were not things we discussed. It was just sort of like, you're going to do this and this is what you're going to do. And this is how you're going to do it. And you need to be also married by a certain age. So these are all like expectations that were kind of like taught, told to you from the very beginning. It's not something that was sort of said okay well you have a choice here in this it's just the way it is that's the way everybody was that's the way everybody in society is right yeah so you're you're gonna fit in basically
0: right and so how do you feel like these cultural dynamics then kind of play into or can how do i say like embolden or (laughs) enmesh into like narcissistic abuse and or emotional psychological yeah, absolutely.
1: So, you know, one of the things that, at the, and this is in my parents' generation and the generations before me, there were very clear gender roles. Like a woman's job was to either be a housewife or by the time it was my generation, even if she were to make money, she shouldn't make more money than her husband. Or if she has a good career, they she, she should be sacrificing that when she has children. And those are things that her career is not as important as his and his needs are always to be met. So, you know, my mom is a brilliant person. She's very very smart. She, you know, I think she's one of the smartest people I know. But, you know, she was always she was a housewife and I'm very grateful that she was always home for us, but I know that she probably had aspirations to do more but never really had the opportunity. And then I, that's sort of what I saw my dad always controlled the finances, controlled, you know, what we did. The mood of the house was dictated by his mood. I mean, these are all very narcissistic traits that I learned later on were narcissistic. I didn't understand them to be that way when we were growing up. This was just the way it is. This is how it is in every household. Like the man of the house, he rules all of the things. Whether you do something or not is based on whether he gives you permission to do something or not. And, you know, my mom had, some say but not as much and not very little say it's more like whatever your dad says it goes beyond like just being bossy it's a lot of control financially emotionally you're not allowed to cry in front of everybody else if you're crying stop crying stop crying you know these are Now we know that that's very abusive emotionally. You should have the opportunity to be sad and show your feelings. Yeah, a human being. (laughs) (laughs) But those are not things that were really, you know, encouraged. So if I was ever, if there was an opportunity to be upset or anything like that, it was more like you just did it quietly. You cried quietly Mm -hmm. or in silently and you didn't have the opportunity to really express yourself. And even when I did with my mom, my mom is amazing, but she also didn't know what to do with it. Right? Like it's hard on her because she's like, well, She's first of all powerless, and second of all, it's like, why are you crying? Don't cry, you know. Well, and she's um, probably trying
0: to help manage the thing with your dad, right? Because yeah,
1: she was always in the middle, and like I really trying to keep you know, the peace of day, the household, yeah. right? Yeah, to this day, I feel for that because I feel like she's really stuck in the middle a lot of the time, and codependency too, right? There's a lot of that with my dad. So I, I mean, I grew up thinking that these were all normal things, right? So when you are feeling something, the woman's needs are put aside if if a husband is feeling something or needs something, that's prioritized above everybody else, right? Right. In the house, especially the children. And, you know, you can't break the rules in any way in that sense. So you just went along. (laughs) I was also not brave enough to sneak around and break rules. I was told not to date. And I was told not to talk to boys because that was improper, because that's the way my parents were raised in India. But you're in the U.S. going to high school. How do you
0: avoid talking to a boy and wow. how do you avoid dating? Yeah, and that right. adds a whole nother complexity, right? Because yeah. you're dealing with two cultures on top of each right. other. Because you're, yeah, you've got yeah. the strong so am I, South Asian American, American, American,
1: yeah. So I mean, if, as far as that being abusive, it's more the culture that kind of feeds into this. Okay, well, there's a lot of control, and there's a lot of financial control too, right? So whatever we did, he was the primary breadwinner, and everything was based on his income and his needs right. and, and successful or not successful. It is what it is. And that's just the way it goes. Like my mom had a part-time job at some point, but then her job was not as important. So it was, you know, most of my dad and, and again, all the rules were by him. We don't break the rules for any reason.
0: <laughs> well, and it's so hard too, because I think especially not enough talk I think is given to financial abuse yeah. because it really is a way to maintain that power and control over people because money in all cultures, right, is survival. Yeah. If you don't Absolutely. have the money, like it equals yeah. death. I'm going to be homeless. Yeah. I'm going to be on the streets. I'm not going to be able to eat. I'm not going to have mm-hmm. shelter, like those basic mm-hmm. survival needs. So it's like, yeah. no wonder why, you know, these kinds of cultures where it's the male dominated yeah. or yeah. that breadwinner and they have all the control of the money and. And there's nothing wrong with one person staying at home and one person working all the time. But the problem comes, like you said, when all the control is there, if you're not yeah. allowed to spend money or you're working, like, yeah. like they yeah. have total and control
1: part- over it. Partnerships are different, right? Where you're asking for an opinion, you respect the other person's opinions, and you give the options, you have a conversation. And I'm not, I'm not denying the fact that there are relationships like that where one person has control over finances, but... But the other person has a say, right? That's the healthy way to do it. Right. And in these situations, it's not that way. There was always like this shame of, why are you spending any money on this? I mean, so growing up seeing that, it was sort of like at some point when I, after I finished my undergrad degree, it was like, oh my gosh, you need to get married today. Okay. Remember, I have not dated. I have not talked to anybody. Wow. By the time I was in college, I had friends that were boys, but it was all like in a group setting, right? Like we were all just friends, Nothing. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. And it was sort of like, we'll introduce you to people. And it was a very difficult process because I went through the arranged marriage route because that was what was expected. And, I mean, I'm not a skinny person, right? I mean, there's also a certain expectation in the whole arranged marriage route. It's a biodata. I mean, it's literally called a biodata. What you look like, how fair you are, how dark your skin... I mean, all of these things are factors. Are you slim? Are you chubby? Are you... Those... I mean, you're boiled down to a piece of paper or your picture and nothing more in this process. And that... I mean, at least that was the way it was at that time. I'm not saying that it's the same way today. I, I hope it's changed a little bit, but... The way it was for me was that was it once the biodata was approved, exactly. Yep, approved or there was a match, quote unquote. Then you'd start a conversation with that person, and then you don't have a lot of time to think. I mean, I think I was talking to my ex husband for maybe three months, and then we got engaged. Like that was it. We didn't have a lot of time. We met in a February. We got engaged in April and we got married in July.
0: Wow. Like, and with zero relationship
1: time. experience. None. So here I am. I'm like, oh, you know, and my dad was very overt. He was very controlled. He was loud. He was very social. I mean, overt narcissists are very charming. They're outwardly. They're very outgoing. And I was used to that. But it, behind closed doors, was very controlling. You followed his rules. With my ex, he was very covert, so com- comes off as a very soft spoken person, very sweet, very nice. Here I am thinking, okay, I'm getting away from my dad. Oh, wow. I'm marrying somebody that's not my dad. You know, I'm marrying somebody totally different. It's going to be a totally different relationship. I was already earning quite a bit of money. I actually made more money than my ex at the time. Because he was doing his postdoc, and not that money was a factor. I mean, but it was almost like, okay, well, you've got a job now, but you need to settle down. The only way you're settled down in this in this culture is if you are married. You're and not settled any other at way. This
0: time you were, I was
1: at twenty six by this point. Okay, <laughs> you know, and it was like, I mean, they had been starting to try to arrange my marriage since I was like twenty one. So this was five years of hearing about how I'm being picky or people don't like me because I'm you know chubby or why what's wrong why are you not able to meet anybody that likes you you know it's never about my opinions about the person it was they don't like you or the family didn't like you or whatever you know hearing that constantly what does that do to your self-esteem I mean growing up already you're affected with your self-esteem because you had no voice and then you're hearing this all the time so by the time I met my ex he just seemed like this breath of fresh air like oh my gosh you're amazing you're so nice and you're so sweet and Love bombing to the nth degree. Was it? <laughs> like, it was like He was so sweet and so charming and so sensitive and empathetic. I would say all the right words that I wanted to hear. Because here I am, like, feeling like I had very little value outside of just being. I was earning a good amount of money. I was educated. I had an undergraduate degree. Like, I was just doing, I thought I was doing well. And at work, I was always, like, very applauded for my work and things like that but he was just very sweet like always trying to get me gifts or trying to you know hey would be very sensitive he could read my face and understand Mm -hmm. what I needed at that moment I mean these are things that you're like wow what an amazing person this is going to be a great relationship
0: yeah (laughs) and then when did it take the turn or when did these warning signs was it just at like soon after you got married soon after
1: like maybe a few months after we got married i started realizing this is not i don't think this is right so one of the first things we did after we got married was we we went to india to visit his family because they weren't able to come to the our wedding was in the us and i realized quickly like how different he was there and you know They always say narcissists go through their own trauma, and this is why it makes them who they are. He had a very traumatic childhood, a very dysfunctional family. All of that was there. I didn't realize to what extent until we went there. And he always had these mood swings. And there was a lot of, like, if he didn't want to answer a question, there was no talking, right? It's a form of manipulation when you hold back communication and the so treatment. all of that was the silent treatment right and that was happening a lot but I did I thought it was me I thought I had done something wrong and that I was saying something wrong and I didn't want I realized I started walking on eggshells pretty quickly after that It was always like oh and again remember I'm conditioned to believe that the man's mood is the mood of the house so and it's your job to, am I to gonna please do?
0: him and to keep that exactly. happy household my job and... to,
1: yep Exactly. The other thing was I'm a very outgoing, sociable person. I used to be <laughs> at that time and I, I I was always surrounded by friends and I liked to have people over, but it was very difficult with him because he he didn't like having people over. Or when they were over, he would put on this amazing act of being this charming individual, but afterwards would be passive aggressive about his behavior like, "Oh, well, you invited all these people over. You clean up everything by yourself. You do this. You do, you know why did you have to have everybody? And as I started having kids, and so what ended up happening is we lived separately first when we first got married, and then when I got pregnant with my first daughter, he suggested that we move in with my parents because I had gone through fertility issues and I miscarried before her. And afterwards, he said, well, let's move. And he hadn't grown up in a joint family household. So he kind of was craving that he Mm. thought that would be a good situation. I was used to it. So I was like, well, kind of misgiving. But I was like, yeah, it would be good, probably overall, because I think he would enjoy that. And my mom is an amazing cook, and just a wonderful person. So anyway, we moved in together with my parents, and I had my first daughter. And the thing is, you're dealing with two different narcissists. You've got an overt not and a realize. covert. <laughs> and who's stuck in the middle? My mom and me, you know, trying to please one or the other. And they both are getting on each other's nerves in different ways and trying to stay in control of whatever's going on, but neither of them oh is in control. I look back on those times and I think, how did I survive that? But yeah, that's how it was. It was really difficult. And then When I got pregnant with my second child, it was like, okay, we need to move out. Like, this is not – I mean, it was also very – a lot of good things came out of it, right? Being in a joint family household, like – my kids really gained from having grandparents there every day. And that was wonderful. And that's part of the culture that I think is so positive, you know, these joint families that are actually emotionally healthy are amazing because it gives that continuation and you have that exposure that I didn't have. Like I grew up in the States and my grandparents were in India and I had very little interaction with them. And when I would see them, it was like years at a time I wouldn't see them. Right. So, this was something I thought, oh, this will be wonderful for them. And it was in a lot of ways, but they didn't know at that age what I was dealing with. (laughs) And then back and forth. And neither my ex and my dad wouldn't directly say anything critical to each other, but I would hear the brunt of it from my ex and my mom would hear the brunt of it from my dad. And then both of us are trying to keep the peace. And then we can't vent to each other because you don't show imperfections here, you know, like it's, it's very everything very layer on top of everything of maintaining that yeah. perfect.
0: and that's that's what's so hard too because you don't have that safe outlet to even discuss no. right and i'm assuming and also you like, think there's something wrong really with you thing.
1: right <laughs> no therapy who's who's going to therapy no that's not an option therapy's kind of like why why would you go to therapy what's wrong that means with you're you? broken
0: right that means something that means wrong. you're broken that means something is wrong right and that would look bad on us if somebody were to even find out that exactly. you needed help Exactly,
1: wow. yep. And there are a lot of things that we don't reveal, right? Everybody has to see perfection. So right. that's the unfortunate part. So after we moved out, I think that was sort of the real indicator that I was living with a covert narcissist. So I didn't, again, I didn't know any of these terms as, it, as I was living through it. My kids were really little. And I always thought, I, I always knew something was off in my marriage, but I always, again, was trying so hard to just make it right. Mm. So I'm constantly trying to please him, please other people. He was, you know, passive aggressive about getting together with folks or having get togethers, which I absolutely loved having. But then after some time, I just stopped because it was just too difficult. Well, and that's and part thought, of the
0: plan, right? Is to drive a wedge isolation. between as isolation, right? Of course absolutely. he does, he wants you away because if you were to actually, I mean, it mirrors how much you're not having fun or you're not happy yeah. within the marriage. If yeah. you're going out and having fun with all these other people, right? It makes them yeah. look bad. It
1: absolutely. destroys their image. Yeah, absolutely. And I had to basically, again, whatever made him happy was what we did in the house. And, you know, again, it was like ups and downs. Like sometimes he would be very loving and very tender and very affectionate. And then The next day would be a completely different person. The mask would come off or he would be very cold and covert and just mean. And thanks for
0: sharing that part, too, because I think that's why Well, people are like, well, why don't you just leave? And they don't realize the abuse cycle that they abuse, they devalue, they isolate, you know, all of these things. And then they love bomb again, right? The the bread crumbing, they give you morsels of love or that hope of maybe we can go back to those days of courtship, which I'm sure were
1: amazing days. Amazing, (laughs) right. And here's the other thing. I mean, I think people need to understand that a narcissist really targets somebody that has a low self-image or self-esteem. There is something that we, and there's nothing wrong with the person, but it's because we believe that we are less and that another person has to make us whole. And I was always conditioned to believe a man's opinion mattered. And if he didn't accept me, then I wouldn't be accepted, period. Right. And so having that fundamental core belief is what really drove a lot of my relationship with my next next ex-husband. Narcissistic ex-husband is an ex, right? So with him, because I was basically always trying to make him happy, always whenever he wasn't happy, thought it was me because I was bad ugly you know and he wasn't doing anything to change that self image that belief that i had of myself because it wouldn't serve his purpose right so he low, reinforcing so
0: that you be, you're dependent and you're going to stick around and you're going to serve yeah. and please him because if you get independent yeah. and don't serve him like
1: yeah yeah so i would i was getting different jobs and i was always making pretty good income at, at one point I thought okay maybe I'll quit working because I have both two little kids and something in my gut said I should not stop working because I just knew something was off like he did control all the finances so he at that point had gotten a, a job we both made equal amounts of money but he still controlled all the finances yes all they were joined accounts yes I had a, he says I had access to them, but whenever I asked, can I look at anything, he would get very defensive, like, don't you trust me? Oh my gosh, you know, you just don't, you, you don't believe anything that I say, like, why do you need to know this? Why do you need to know that? But then would question anything that I bought or did, or, you know, try to go shopping. He's like, why do you need to go? What do you need to get? You know, everything. It was like, even a, a, a shirt, like, it was just really bad. Wow. Even for the kids, like, he did most of the shopping for them, you know, and I realized... Again, I had very little control, even though here I am making, you know, with a good job and I had I had a say at work. I mean, work became kind of a safe haven because I was doing well there. And But I was now looking back, I feel like I was affected in that arena as well because I was always holding back a little bit. I could have probably been promoted differently, or but I didn't feel like I could because that's not my job to get promoted there. So my job is to maintain a good home and maintain a good income. You got to do both. And that's always the rules. Like, that's the way it has to be, you know. So anyway, after I think it finally kind of hit me and I had an epiphany moment when it had gotten so bad. I would dread coming home from work. And again, the kids were young, but they were as independent as they could be. They were at that time still in elementary school and middle school. But the time I went one day, I think I just felt like I needed to just drive into a pole. Like I was on the road and I just, for whatever reason, just felt the urge to just go into it. And I don't know, I'm a very spiritual person, not religious necessarily, but I feel like there was some divine intervention because the Mm -hmm. car swerved back. And I stopped the car and I I was shaking. I was literally shaking. And I said, I need to change the circumstance. Something is wrong. I need to get out. And the only way to get out is to survive. And I need to be here for my kids. And that's literally what made me seek therapy. (laughs) So from that point, you started therapy? I started therapy. Things were not going well in the house, but I started therapy. I kind of didn't tell my ex that I was going to therapy at the time. We were, again, in the same house, but I made an appointment. I paid cash because I just wanted to make sure he didn't know that I was paying for this. First of all, I had opened my own bank account, which really enraged him. And then... Because that, that meant I was hiding something from him. And then I went and started therapy. And the therapist, the first meeting she met with me, she, I started describing my circumstances and she immediately was like, she gave me a checklist and said, Are all of these things happening? Or can you, does this sound familiar? And I was like, Yep, 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 yep. 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10 things on that list. And she said, you know, you're dealing with... Com- I'm laughing now, but it was very traumatic, yeah. you know, because it was almost like a validation of, I'm not oh my gosh, great- this is real, right? This is real. And she said, well, you're dealing with narcissistic abuse. I said, what is that? I don't understand what that is. What do you mean? Abuse? What? I'm not getting... He's not hitting me. He's yeah. not, you know, punching me in the face or anything. She said, no, that's not the only definition of abuse. When I started understanding what it was and the fact that I and she said you're and you're dealing with complex PTSD I said PTSD I'm not a soldier I don't go out in the field and she's like no that doesn't mean that you're not going through complex PTSD and as she started explaining things to me I realized Mm -hmm. wow all of a sudden my everything clicked I was like yes this is exactly right it was a real validation of what I'd been through and I thought wow I need to get out I need to get out as soon as possible. It still took two years to get out of the marriage. And financially, because he controlled all the accounts and didn't hire a lawyer for a long period of time, it took two years of us living in the same house, separated. Oh and knowing this now. And knowing what I was dealing with. And, and then realizing, I think a few months out into therapy, my therapist kind of approached <laughs> the subject of my dad. And to this point was still idolizing the man like he's the most amazing thing. His opinion matters. And then he started really sympathize. Like when I told them that I'm having these issues with my ex, because I the other thing is because of this perfection rule, right, where you don't talk about things that are not good. I never told my parents the extent of what was happening in my right. marriage. They live close by. The kids would see them all the time. We would see them all the time. But you're putting on this big show. So whenever they're over, everything's perfect. Mm-hmm. I don't ever talk about my feelings or what I'm going through or how it's going, right? So finally, when I did tell them, hey, I need to get out of this marriage, they were like, what? My mom's immediate reaction was, why? You have children. You can't do that. You can't get a divorce. Well, there's another divorce cultural layer, an right? Like- Absolutely. Divorce is not an option. What do you mean? You can work this out. This is This is just you having a tantrum. You know, that's all it was. Like I was basically being emotional and unreasonable at that moment.
0: Well, and you kind of think about it. If she was to acknowledge what you had been through, you're kind of offering a mirror of what she's going through.
1: Yeah. I realize that now. Right. But at that time I was just devastated. Right. It's like, what do you mean? Because here I am, I'd held it back for so long. And I'm like, what do you mean? And the reaction was, well, He's not hitting you. Look, you have a good job. You have a beautiful house. You have two beautiful children. Why? What, do you, what are you
0: unhappy about? What do you have to be unhappy about? Think about right? all the people who are less fortunate, who can't get married or can't have kids. Yep. or And he's poverty. not hitting
1: you. He's not doing anything. You know, look, he's so, and again, the show is there, right? So whenever anybody's over, he's mm-hmm. perfect person, perfect husband, very caring, perfect father, perfect wow. son-in-law, you know, I mean, he's just, the perfect person. I used to crave at that time to have people over just because I was see this version of him that I loved. I was like, this is the man I want to be married to, not the other person that doesn't exist or that that shows himself to me behind closed doors when nobody's around. And, wow. I, you know, th- it was really, it was very difficult. And then when my th- therapist brought up the fact that my dad was also a narcissist and started pointing things out to me, then it started to click. I said, okay, this explains a lot. This explains a lot of what I am today, why I got into the relationship that I did, didn't have any boundaries with myself for myself, and took two years to get out of that marriage, two years to move out. And even after divorce, there was a lot of post-separation abuse. Because it doesn't end once you turn sign those yeah, papers, did it get which worse? I thought it would.
0: Was it worse after?
1: It did. There were things that he still controlled as far as through the children. And there are still times, I mean, I, my kids are still minor, so it's... There are still moments that he feels like he can get to me, but I don't react the same way. And it's through my healing process, I've learned how to set some boundaries, even their minimal contact. It's very difficult
0: co-parenting with
1: a narcissist.
0: That's why I say and it's impossible to co-parent with a narcissist. There's nothing co about yeah, it, right? Like it's it, very, no, parallel, separate about it. lanes. Parallel,
1: separate lanes that are in diverging directions. The other thing I had to really learn is not just... So because once we got divorced, I thought, Oh, I'm I'm healed. Like, this is good. I'm away from this person. I don't need to deal with any of this anymore. And I realized very quickly, like, no, I'm still dealing with a lot of those things. Because anytime I would get an email or a text or a call, immediately, my body reacted, right? I mean, now, right. I've done a lot of work on learning about somatic healing and the somatic references in our body that or the reactions that we have. And I realized, oh, my gosh, like, I was Definitely reacting every time I got a phone call or a text and also just the way that he would control the children and the schedules and what he could, he would do for them versus what he wouldn't do. And I finally had to set some really strong boundaries. I was like, nope, these are the rules. This is the agreement we signed. You know, follow the rules according to the divorce decree, according to our custody agreements. And even afterwards, we did have to go to court because he took me to court saying I violated a whole lot of things and then custody was affected. But now it's to the point where I kind of am very grateful that I kept my job all of those years because financially, that's what saved me. Even though he does pay some child support, it's not, I mean, it's not the same thing. And I think the court system also in this country and in many countries, they don't understand narcissistic abuse. And they don't really empathize or understand what emotional and financial abuse looks like. And so a lot of the rulings are really based on, oh, the father still needs equal opportunity or equal rights. And right. I'm not saying they don't. A, a healthy father should absolutely have rights,
0: right? That's not what I'm t- saying. But here, when but... there's abuse involved, it changes the whole dynamic. And, and how do you explain recognized? to
1: a court that doesn't understand or is not trauma informed? And these are important terms I've learned now. You know, you have to be trauma informed when you're talking to somebody, no matter what your profession is. You need to be trauma-informed to understand what trauma does to somebody, physically, emotionally, and especially how it affects children. I don't think there's enough talked about that. And again, you have to remember the other aspect is the cultural aspect. So at this point, I have gotten divorced. I did not know anybody in my community of friends that was divorced in the South Asian community. We were one of the only ones. All of a sudden, people are looking at me differently People are looking at my children. Oh, you're a child of divorce. And they're going back and forth. They're 50-50 here. Very difficult And this is on like everybody. American South
0: Asian community, right? Absolutely.
1: Like... Right. Which is, you know, again, it's that cultural reference of, oh my gosh, you're from a broken family. You're not uh-huh. perfect. What What are you doing? You're not a perfect family anymore. Things changed very drastically. The circle of people I had around me changed. A lot of people, they didn't want to take sides, quote unquote. And I think this is more so like a, a magnifier in the South Asian community. Cause it's like, Oh, well, if we associate with one person, that means we're siding with the wife or we're, you know, and mm. it's really, and if you look at the two of us, my personality was very outgoing. His was very calm and, quiet and he, again he, with the mask on he's an incredibly sweet person so oh she must have done something wrong usually the woman's always taking the blame right mm-hmm. she did something wrong she broke her family look at that she is not a good well, wasn't that she,
0: subservient culturally yeah, appropriate
1: yeah exactly she was too ambitious she just wanted something else nobody's not trying to hear your point of view they're just making their own judgments here right so it became very evident who my friends really were who my support system really was. And I have to tell you, people came out of the woodwork. Some of them that I've, I have in my community are, are great and they're amazing. And I feel very supported now, but for a long time, the people that I thought were my friends and what I thought were in my community, again, remember the community is very much about staying together, Right. but now you're suddenly divorced. You're not wow. part of the community. Like you were just treated. I was treated like an outcast. It wasn't invited to certain things. My kids weren't invited to certain things. These are things that are not spoken about, you know, and unfortunately it, re- it really isolates you because you suddenly feel like, am I really part of that community anymore? Do I really have a place? I thought everybody was there for me, or I thought this was my community. But the truth is, I think you have to realize it's not, you have to find the right part of the community that's accepting. And there are so much that I've learned now that, you know, as I've started building myself up and doing my own healing and understanding, what trauma was I started understanding that a lot of what people are perceiving as part of the culture or part of the community are really their own views of things and not necessarily what's a reflection of the actual culture and community right Mm -hmm. so we have to now learn who the people are that are accepting that see you for as a person versus oh you just need to fit into a mold right there's no mold anymore right I made my own mold here so we are we're breaking all of these barriers because we're now as a community we're now seeing more people getting divorced and i think it's healthy to be out of a bad relationship and not trying to put up a show because there's too much pressure there to keep up those appearances for your children and for yourself right wow so talking about these things is also very difficult like i had nobody to talk to about these things and nobody would want to discuss you know yeah they may have accepted that we were divorced but Nobody really wanted to discuss anything.
0: And how lucky that your therapist knew about narcissistic abuse because I've had clients yes. myself who've come to me after therapy and like they didn't even spot it, and it made it worse because yes. then they're like, "You got to do your yes. part in this," and you're like, yeah. "Okay, well, let me work harder." It must be something yes. with me, and then yes,
1: right? Absolutely, absolutely, and it, it's so true because a lot of the time. And this is why I say this about a lot of my friends would say, well, what did you do wrong in this? Why why are you not just going along? And why are you not adjusting? You're not compromising. Only he's compromising. I was like, no, you have no idea. Like, I have done everything. (laughs) I have done everything. And how do you explain that to anybody? They're not understanding. They don't see it. They don't understand what this abuse is like. You know, you're basically a shell of who you were, And here you are trying to fight for yourself. It's impossible. You feel completely broken down. And that's part of the abuse cycle is they break you down completely. I was to the point where after I moved out and we had gotten a divorce, I bought a house and I didn't know how to change a light bulb. I didn't know how to use a drill. These are things that you would think are kind of basic or I was just afraid to even like just the thought of looking at my bank accounts and trying to set up the electricity in my name and the gas in my name I mean, it was these are daunting and i used to have a pit in my stomach i would be scared like am i doing the right thing it's just funny cuz i i think about it now and i'm like i'm so independent i can't imagine I, I look back on the person that i was and think oh my gosh you know i feel sorry for her she didn't know and look at look at me now like i feel totally different i don't see that person anymore but i remember she really suffered a lot. And that's where she thought she could do nothing. And as I started building myself and learning, I realized there are so many women in these situations, especially in our South Asian community, that just don't understand that they're being abused, right. or they think it's them, or they think they're not fitting a, a cultural mold that's set out for them, and therefore there's something wrong with them. And that's absolutely not true. Like well, you as an individual have power and rights yes. and you're whole, you're, you should be whole and happy and the, your partner should be supporting that. And there is nothing against the culture to do that. You know, these are not things that are not South Asian. These are just, as a human being, you have these rights
0: Right. and it's
1: okay to be happy, you know? Yeah.
0: And thank you so much for sharing this story because my hope is that somebody who is in a similar culture or situation or even from South Asian community will listen And and like you said, it's like, even if you can't change a light bulb and you feel like you can't even look at a bank account, I think that's what keeps people trapped in these relationships, right? Right. Is because it's like, well, how the hell am I going to survive outside of yeah. this when I've yeah. become dependent and relied on this other person to do everything for me?
1: Everything for you. Right? Yep. And again, you also want to be accepted by the community. So you don't want to be from a broken marriage. You right. don't want to be the one you they talk about behind image. your back. You want to maintain that image. You want to be part of this community that you think is holding you and, and supporting you, right? So if you do something out of the norm there, who's going to accept you? How are they going to treat you? These are things I had to come to terms with too and say, it's okay. This is not a reflection on everybody. And I, there is a community out there that supports me and accepts me and I'm going to find it. Yeah. And it took a lot to get out yeah, of that. How did I you, I'm...
0: I mean, how did you find the strength yeah. to break through
1: all of those cultural Yeah. Therapy really helped me understand what narcissistic abuse was. But I also realized that I needed to do some inner healing and starting to understand my core belief system was off, right? The fact that I felt like I didn't have value. I can't check my own bank account. I always felt like I was stupid with numbers Mm -hmm. because this is reinforced by the financial abuse. Oh, you don't know what you're looking at. Oh, you don't know how to do investments. You don't know... but in my and the cultural thing job, of all your it's just yeah. cooking and oh so like the woman doesn't have woman doesn't right? have a place there right a woman's yeah. place is just to take care of all of these other things and the irony was in my actual career job I was maintaining budgets of millions of dollars and I was maintaining funds <laughs> but this core belief of when I come to my house I still don't know how, how to pay an electricity bill or do this or, these are just reinforced ideas and beliefs because the woman's job is oh don't get involved with all of that. We did have a financial advisor that worked with us, but when they were talking to, to both of us, they were talking to my husband, not mm-hmm. to me. It was more like that's the way it was supposed to be. And I just sort of zoned up because, oh, I just need to sit there, but not really because it's not my job. It's his job to look at everything. It's this belief that you don't understand and you don't know. So what I had to do is I realized quickly, like, I need to understand that I I, I listened to a podcast, actually, that really helped me <laughs> understand that I was – not healed, and that I was going through this abuse, and even still post-divorce, like I hadn't healed myself completely, and I had these core beliefs that needed to change. So I got back into doing some healing through narcissistic abuse healing, which I realized was different than just going to therapy. This is really looking at the way narcissistic abuse has torn me down, and starting with the fundamentals of who I am, what I believe in myself, and the fact that I have value. And it takes time and work and reprogramming of your brain, basically. Mm-hmm. Your, and your nervous system,
0: right? That whole system? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Your nervous system is completely out of whack. You are not reacting the same way to things. Things that feel... Safe are not really safe because you really believe that they're safe because that's all you're used to. You're used to being hyper vigilant about things and people pleasing tendencies are constant. You know, I'm always like, oh, what will other people think? You have to tear those down. You have to start working on your nervous system, regulating that, understanding that it's okay to not feel this way, that safety can be boring sometimes and it's okay, you know, because you're so used to just being activated right you're so
0: addicted i mean that's what i noticed too even after getting out of the cult and narcissistic abuse i never realized just how deeply my nervous system was addicted to those highs addicted to the triggers addicted to the stress and how my body was actually producing like chaos or producing stress just to like have that it was like a hit that was my heroin was chaos Yeah. And, and, and when things go it.
1: smoothly, yeah, when things go smoothly, you're all of a sudden like, oh, what's wrong? It's walking on the wrong. eggshells, like something's yeah, going to exactly. happen. Right. Something's going to happen. <laughs>
0: right. This can't be like. right.
1: It's so good. What's yeah. going
0: on? I know that something's going to drop soon. <laughs> like, don't <laughs> so let me, let me explode something. That's like, so.
1: <laughs> it's it's true. It's a self-sabotage cycle, too, because you go through this where you're like, well, there's something wrong with me because I feel good right now. Mm-hmm. And realizing, no, it's okay to feel safe and it's okay to feel good and to enjoy things and to have things that you like and you love. And and you're not disrespecting anybody. You're not dismissing other people's needs, but you are putting yourself first. And I was always taught that that was selfish, right? The needs of everybody else was always more important than my own needs. yeah And once that script flipped, it changed everything for me because I became a better mother. Mm. I became a better sister. I became a better human being, friend to people because I started understanding that my needs were also important. And as I started doing that, I was happier, more healthy, more whole, and I could be there for other people. I could be more present for other people. And I also learned through this coaching program, like just how to help How to understand and be trauma-informed, see where other people are, meet them where they are, understand that, like you said, it's very difficult for people to, because people are like, why didn't you just leave? Why did, you know, it was so bad, why didn't you just walk away? And understanding that people will have to do it in their own time when they're ready Mm -hmm. and not judge them for that. And, you know, even if you are in an abusive situation, to understand that you're not alone, that this is not normal, but you can get through it, you can heal there are people here to help you and support you. You just need to be ready whenever you're ready. And there's no judgment on you staying. Right. Because it feels safer for you. Your nervous system feels safer right now, being in that situation. And when you're ready, you will find a way to come and get help. And you will get the help you need. Because there are lots of us out here to help you. Yeah. You know?
0: And I think that's so important to know is that there are other communities out there because, you know, especially if you're raised in this culture where that togetherness and that unity is so important, I can imagine. It feels like death to step out of that because no one's going to accept me. No one's going to love me. Like, how am I going to do this alone? Imagine too, it just kills me. Like all of these, you were so lucky to have a job throughout, but think of these women who have never worked and their whole life has yes. been taking care of the kids, which is an amazing yeah. job in and of itself. Yes. But yes. that's how a narcissist yes. will con- financially control yep. and manipulate. And then yes. you have no And it's like, if you leave, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Right? Yeah. And some of them are in their 40s, yeah. 50s, 60s, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I want to I wanna speak
1: specifically to those people. I mean, I know it's very, very difficult. I'm not dismissing the fact that it's very difficult to leave those circumstances. Yeah. But I also want you to know that you have value and you are a whole person and you deserve to be happy. You deserve happiness and your children will be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the biggest concern people have is, oh, what will happen to my kids? But the reality is they actually, my kids are amazing. I'm very blessed to have them. And yes, it was very, it was a tough transition and understanding what I was going through. I was also going through my own healing process while trying to accommodate for them and having them, they still have to deal with their narcissistic father and grandfather and, and still, but they see me. And like you said, parallel parenting, almost you're in different directions, but the fact that I am giving them a safe space, Uh I'm able to hear them and meet them where they are. I am trauma informed. I see their trauma. I understand that they are going through something, not dismissing their feelings about it. Uh It's okay to acknowledge it. I think that ends up making you gift. such a better parent and better human being that I think people need to understand that staying in that circumstance is not saving anybody. It's really actually making things a little bit worse. And once you are out, you'll be able to see it with some separation and space that you are able to be a whole person and therefore you are going to be better parent and better person to everybody else.
0: Right. And what a yourself. gift to break that cycle. It's a genera I mean, yeah. this is multi gener Like we said, it's cultural. Yes. So it's a multi-generational yeah. cycle yes. that yes. you're breaking because when you stay in these relationships, what are you showing your kids? Like kids learn yeah. by example, they yeah. learn by your action. Yeah. So if they see you submitting and they see you mm-hmm. putting up with the abuse, then let yeah. me tell you, when they get into those other relationships, when they get older, Absolutely, that's what they've and, learned. And that's what, yeah. you know, monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> like- Absolutely. I
1: mean, this is the cycle that I continued, right? And I want to break that. I don't want that for my kids. I do. I want them to be able to have healthy boundaries to understand who they are, and to be in relationships that are loving and yeah. that are partnerships. And whatever their relationships are, they are totally in control of how that's going to go for them you know and they're wow. able to communicate and be able to show their feelings and express oh. them in a <laughs> loving and safe environment and these are things that i realize now are so important i want i want them to have that i want them to be able to speak to me about that and you know this is where we break that cycle too right it's okay to talk about these things it's okay to go to therapy it's yeah. okay to to seek support and help when you need it and these are safe spaces. There's no judgment. Like I said, if if you're in this situation, there's no judgment. You are yeah, gonna be safe coming to somebody to get help. It's very hard it's... to see it. I know because you're in the trenches of it. I really believe it is like war. Like you're in the trenches. You don't see that there's a whole world outside that's
0: wonderful and beautiful. But it's there when you're ready. You
1: yeah. know, it's
0: there. Yeah. I just get emotional like hearing your story too because. Just seeing from what you've gone through and like the beginning of our talk of talking about the family yeah. unit and how important that is and how everyone yeah. wants to maintain that. But hearing your story, it just makes me realize like that is the true family unit. You know, like you're actually exemplifying and, and doing justice and to your culture, honoring your culture by now providing a real family yeah. unit where you care about each other's feelings and needs mm-hmm. and you're there yeah. for each other in a beautiful way way that is there because you want to be there because it feels good and a safe space yeah. for each other's nervous systems. Like, absolutely. I'm like, oh, this is like the absolutely. family unit of the culture that is actually. Yes. This so you're is not breaking away from the culture. You're, no. You're actually strengthening it, right? Absolutely.
1: Like, that's a very good analogy. And I really believe that. I, like I said, I think it's people's interpretations of what they believe is the culture. But really, the culture is so beautiful. There are so many great aspects. And one of these things is this family unit and this feeling. And it's now I feel like it's the family that I've chosen to have around me that right. are the supportive ones that are going to understand and I'm here for you you're here for me that's what it is that's what family is you don't have to have a blood relationship for those things and or you don't have to fit into a certain mold in order to have that and I think that's important for people to understand is our culture is very beautiful and very rich but it also accommodates for this yeah. and know that this is real and you can be safe and you can be whole and you will be fine I know it's very scary. I, I don't take that away. But it, once you are able to step out, you'll see it. It's amazing yeah. and beautiful. And there are a lot of us here to help you.
0: Oh, thank yeah, you so absolutely. much. Absolutely. And how can if people want to reach out to you or connect? Yeah. How can they find you? Or... Yeah, so I'm
1: on Instagram right now. You can also message me, I'll send you my email. And I'm here to support whatever is needed. And I, I just I just want people to feel validated that what they're going through they're not alone and it's not something that they need to feel like they're isolated from anybody else we're all here so and no matter how deep they are in in,
0: there's always a way out always
1: a way out it 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 is going to be i'm not going to lie it's hard it's (laughs) hard it's hard but once you're there and you know that there are people to support you nobody's going to abandon you you're going to be okay we're gonna
0: be okay, so. oh, well, thank you so much for just everything that you're doing and being so open and vulnerable about your journey and sharing that. Yeah, and also for yeah, spreading this awareness, especially in, in your communities and this culture to shine a light and speak about yeah. it. In such a, I feel, a compassionate, you know, understanding way. Thank you for the opportunity and the forum. I appreciate it so much. You're amazing
1: for the work that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope this podcast has sparked some new insights, inspiration, or deeper questions. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. Your support helps us reach more people and continue to create meaningful content. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to be a guest on our show, please reach out at CallieSorenson.com or on Instagram or YouTube at Callie Remember, the journey of self-discovery and growth is ongoing. Until next time, may you continue to explore, learn, and grow. Please be advised that the opinions and views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the guests, hosts, and are not intended as professional advice. The content provided on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a substitute for professional counseling or medical treatment. The opinions shared on this podcast contain personal experiences and opinions that do not apply to everyone or every situation. And anything shared is not intended to malign any religion, belief, group, person, club, organization, individual, anyone or anything.